Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Can we just one more time to everybody who gave and has served over this last year. I think the thing that we should get most excited about is generosity, maybe more than anything else. So one more time, let's just give it up for what you guys have done. This uh, last week, our church was honored and nominated for award with the Brandon Chamber of Commerce. Um, just as another indication of what you're doing and the fact that you've given so much money away over this last year, um, and you are making an impact in these organizations that is known throughout our community. And we started our church, it was really um, a goal that eventually that's what we would be known for because the church is known for a lot of stuff right now that we don't really wanna be known for as far as capital T, capital C. And so it's a win in the community and it's a win for the Jesus movement when the church is known for what the church should be known for and that is extravagant, no strings, generosity to anybody, anywhere because that's exactly the nature and character of Jesus. So I just want to thank you for what you are doing and the impact you're having in our community. It's a big deal. All right, I wanna welcome you in. If you're joining us online, um, if you're in one of the seven counties through Unfiltered Radio or all over via podcast, you're in the house today. We're in part two of this series called Take Back Your Life. Um, just an extra plug on this because I'm getting so excited and the registrations are growing. There's that little card on your chair for her gathering coming up, which is unlike any kind of um, women's whatever you wanna call it, you have been to, I can promise you that. And so uh, this is coming up at beginning of May. Do not miss it, go and register today because um, that those registrations are filling up really, really fast. So um, wherever you are, if you're online, um, throw some emojis throughout this thing. I always go back and check. I wanna know if you're with me or not. Um, but we're in part two and here's what we've been talking about. If you haven't been here, you can go back to the app or website or wherever uh, to catch up on the first part of this series. But the whole idea is that you are able to take back your life, which a lot of us don't feel a lot of times if there's an area of your life that's out of control. And in fact, here's what we've said, specifically if you're a follower of Jesus, is that you were meant and called to thrive and not just survive. And a lot of times we get in modes a lot where we just kind of start to condition ourselves to what we're walking through and the dysfunction. And we identify with that more than we identify with anything else. And it's easy to just stay stuck. But you were meant to thrive. Jesus made this promise. I wanna offer you life and life to the full. And that's not just heaven when you die. That's like right now. I'm the resurrection and the life. I want you to experience love and joy and peace. And that is not hinging on your circumstances. That's actually possible through any kind of circumstance. You do not have to live out of control. And that's not the promise that you're not gonna experience trouble because Jesus was straight up about that. And that's coming. But you do not have to be controlled by it. And you do have control of how you respond to it with your habits, 
with those things inside of you sometimes where you start to lean to just cynical or fearful or, or that thing that you're walking through that you never think you can get on the other side of it. And Jesus says, no, no, I'm actually offering you more than that. And you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the spirit of God, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead in you. And a lot of times until we wake up to that reality, it never actually makes any real impact in our life, but it's true. Um, when I was a junior in high school, I started to get really sick and I had no idea why I was sick. And I don't know if this is just a guy thing because I hate the stereotype stuff or this is just me being an idiot. Um, and I, I don't know, but like I started to feel really, really bad and I just didn't tell anybody for like a year and a half. Um, and through that time, I lost like 40 pounds, which I didn't really have that to lose. And so I'm like beginning of my senior year and it gets worse and worse and worse. And I would get in these like episodes where I would double over in pain. I was so in pain that no overstatement, it started to like ravage my body. I had lost so much weight. Physically, I knew I wasn't right. I was in so much pain all the time. I just didn't tell anybody. I don't know what I thought. Like it's, I have really bad sinuses and like I'll get over this or... I don't know what I thought it was, but I downplay everything. It's like, it's not that big a deal until I was still somehow managing to play sports. And my dad saw me in one of my games, just like click, like something is not right with this dude. Like he doesn't look right. Um, something is off with him. And so finally, um, you know, he asked me a couple of questions. Like, yeah, I haven't been feeling well uh, for like a year and a half. And he's like, well, you should probably go to the doctor then. And so he forces me to go to my pediatrician at the time because we were still seeing him. And immediately, like, things just went crazy. And they were doing all these tests. And I'll never forget sitting in his office, great bedside manner. Um, he's on the phone, like, dropping all these words that are super scary about, uh, you know, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and blah, 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 all this stuff. And he gets all the phone, um, sets the phone down and looks right at me. I'm like, I think I'm just barely 17. He's like, um, <clears throat> I don't think you're going to die. Uh, thanks for that. That's what every 17-year-old kid wants to hear. And so this um, just set off this litany of tests, tests, and they finally figured out what it was, which was Crohn's disease. And I had to have a huge surgery right after that. And miraculously, I really haven't had any issues for like 20 years, but um, it, this huge surgery. And all of it was because it, I, I just ignored it for like a year and a half. Like it could have been a lot um, less severe. They could have caught it much earlier. I probably wouldn't have to gone through all the stuff that I did, but I just downplayed it. I ignored it. I didn't tell anybody for a year and a half. It was the dumbest thing that I ever did. And it just exaggerated everything, all of those symptoms, everything I was going through. And I say all that to say this, when you think about taking back your life, some of you think about the deep discouragement or that area that, as we've said, feels out of control or it's hurt or it's discontentment or it's an emotional thing that you can't get control of or it's some maybe shame and some guilt that you're carrying around stuff. And I don't know if you would use these words, but really what you need is healing around that area. And just like in any physical pain or just like my story, here's the reality with anything where you need healing, the longer you keep that thing hidden, the more severe it becomes. And the longer you keep that thing hidden, a lot of times the more it grows and, and the more severe ultimately it is. And here's the reality for all of us, like wherever you are, whatever you're struggling with is like, we have an enemy. And I know that's weird. I said this last week, if you're not sure about the Jesus thing, talking about that seems ethereal. And I, I get that. So you just can ignore that. But I believe from the scriptures, we have an enemy and the enemy will use shame to drive you into hiding around the areas that you need healing the most. 
Like it's just his tactic. And the more you stay there, the more severe it becomes. And a lot of times, especially around like secrets and things you don't wanna tell anybody, the more you hide them, the stronger they are, the more that they grow and fester. Because here's what the enemy understands. Two things. When you spend all of your energy hiding, there is no room for healing. And, and it's really one or the other. Like you cannot do both because when you spend most of your time hiding, whether that's hiding from you, <laughs> whether that's hiding from other people around you, whether that's hiding from the truth, when you spend all of your time doing that, there's no time for healing because all of it is wrapped up in coping, in protecting, in image casting. And the more you do that, the more you cancel out your, area, your ability to heal in the area where you need healing the most. In fact, I would say this. You see this throughout the scripture. Jesus will not heal what you won't reveal eventually you've gotta get honest about it and eventually you've gotta come out of hiding. Here's the second thing though the enemy knows and it's this, is that if you ever, if you ever find healing around the area that you are hiding, you become dangerous. Because there are so many people who are not living in freedom, but the moment you get freed up, and again, it's not canceling out the truth, it's, it's the opposite. It is confronting truth even when it's really difficult, even when it's really hard. It's not saying it didn't happen. It's not saying I didn't do it. It's not saying it wasn't severe. It's just saying I found freedom from it and I'm not hiding it from me any longer and I don't feel the need to hide it from you and I don't, need, I don't feel the need to cope and image cast and protect myself any longer. And I'm telling you, when you get to that place, you become free. And when you get free, that is the place where healing starts to begin. And I'll tell you, some of the people I know who are world changers like I've never seen, it's not the absence of a bunch of junk in their background, but it is because they've come out of hiding, found freedom, and now they are changing the lives of people around them. They're changing the world around them. And the enemy knows that. You have the spirit of God in you, You've been called a son and a daughter of God if you placed your faith and trust in Christ. He has a will for your life. He cannot take your life. So the next best thing is to drive you into hiding by attaching guilt and shame to those areas and then keeping you there so that you never find healing and you never experience fully what God has for your life. Amen. And it's been that way from the beginning. So I don't know if you know the story in Genesis where God creates everything, universal wholeness and flourishing, it was perfect. And let me just say a quick note to my skeptic friends, I can never quote Genesis without doing this, but I'm sorry, I've got too many friends. I know like you struggle with Genesis, like just know this, the point of Genesis is not a science textbook, the point of Genesis is the beginning of God's redemptive narrative for all of history. That God's about to do something, he's gonna rescue the world. There is no conflict between science and the scriptures. And in fact, as I said last week, science is just the study into how God did it. Now, however that works out, it doesn't matter. In fact, I know this is a controversial statement. You can do whatever you want with Genesis. You can figure that stuff out. I believe it's real because Jesus um, referenced it and then Jesus walked out of a grave alive and that's the epicenter of our faith, not Genesis. Did Jesus live, die, walk out of a grave alive? And if he did, you can figure all the rest out. The Noahic flood, um, what happened to the dinosaurs, all of that stuff, those are great questions. Figure those out on your own. Did Jesus rise from the dead? So don't get lost in the Genesis narrative. So in Genesis, like God creates everything and there's Adam and Eve in the garden. God creates one rule to basically show that submission to God is actually a good thing. Like I'm the creator of the universe. You should, you should trust me and follow me. 
And then Adam and Eve do what we do, which is I think I know my own way better. I think maybe God's holding out on me and so we're just gonna find our own happiness and our own peace. And sin enters the world, and I get the narrative's weird, so I'm just gonna keep moving, but I think it happened. Sin enters the world and immediately it jacks everything up and immediately Adam and Eve know that something's wrong in Genesis 2.8 and the moment they realize it, what do they do? They hid. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden which is exactly what we do. The moment that it registers, the moment that you feel it, the moment that all that stuff comes up again, this is where you're tempted to go. And then verse nine, but the Lord God called to the man, talking about Adam, where are you at? In verse 10, he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And the naked point is not, that's not the point. The point is, it's a recognition that I'm wrong their shame, and I don't know where to go with it. And so my default mechanism from the very beginning is, I'm just gonna hide. And so verse 11, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Talking about God in the garden, speaking to Adam. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And then verse 12, Adam said, I did. It was my fault, I'm so sorry. (laughs) And just know, Eve is innocent. No, actually, Adam's kind of a jerk about it. The man said, Adam, the woman that you put here, God, it was kind of your idea, and look how this has ended up. Like, this, it's, kind of, it's why we're here. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it, which was like a little bit true. And like, this is, this is the point. Like, I'm gonna create a narrative and there's some truth in it, but it's not all true. And then over time, I'm probably gonna believe my own narrative and I'm gonna cover up, I'm gonna hide, I'm not gonna take responsibility for it. And then I'm just gonna live under that, but all the while I'm hiding. I have a story to tell you. I have a why behind it. I'll tell you how I ended up here and there's some truth in that. But at the end of the day, I'm just hiding. At the end of the day, I'm just trying to cover it. At the end of the day, I'm just blame shifting somewhere else. And I'm hiding rather than working to choose to heal in that area. Now, I wanna say this too real quick because this is just the reality. Some of you, you grew up in like church or religious backgrounds where you almost felt forced into that. Some of you, like at 18, you left the church and went off to college and you went off the rails and everybody's going, what's wrong with you, man? What happened or what happened to your faith? And what you wanted to say was, I've been struggling with this for a long time and and yet nobody let me be honest about what I was struggling with. Or you were in a home and they were religious and they never missed church on Sunday and your dad was a deacon, but he treated your mom like crap. Or you watch religious leaders and everybody played the game and there's like seven things that everybody had to do and as long as you did the seven things, you were good and then you watched hypocrisy and leadership being leveraged over people where you're like, I don't know if I want anything to do with this or not because here's the reality. Like either grace is from salvation through sanctification or it's not grace at all. 
And here's what I mean by sanctification, like church word. It is, this is what God has created you to be. This is where God wants to bring you. This is the healing that God wants to bring in your life. This is the relationship that God wants to have with you, this intimacy with you. But listen, grace is not just at salvation of, I don't deserve this, but because of what Jesus has done, I can trust Jesus, have a relationship with Jesus. And then it's like, okay, now here's your list. And the moment you struggle with anything real, everybody forces you culturally to keep that hidden and down low and healing never happens. And we perpetuate this tired religious game that does not work. And honestly, we're perpetuating the sins of the Garden of Eden. The church should be the safest place in the world for anybody who's struggling with anything. You shouldn't have to hide that. And it's not that God doesn't wanna make you whole or make you new or move you into progress. The point is you only make that progress when you come out of hiding. And so we've created cultures where it's all about grace, but it's not grace the moment I have to struggle with something. But man, when you are struggling is when you need grace of why would I think that somehow along this journey, there's not gonna be moments where I'm just a mess. God already told you that I'm a mess. God already told me that you're gonna be a mess. And there's moments where I need that grace more than ever to go, you know what, I know Jesus, I love Jesus, but I'm also struggling in a sin-infested world and there's no reason that I shouldn't be able to be honest about it. And so I'm coming out of hiding along other people in community to say, we wanna help you walk through this because this is why Jesus came, this is why Jesus died. And we wanna bring people out of hiding just like God God wanted to do in the garden with Adam and Eve. When you feel shame, when you feel guilt, you need to come out around that area and not keep it in hiding. Amen. And so that thing, like where I need healing, that thing where you need healing, like you gotta bring that out of hiding. And that's so uncomfortable. And Jesus talks about this all throughout his ministry. I'm not gonna land on this narrative very long because Nicole just looked at it a few weeks ago um, brilliantly, but Jesus one day was encountering a woman at the well, right? If you were here, you've heard the story, you know the story already, and the woman's out there at midday, which we've talked about, and she's there because it's about 112 degrees, and so she knows nobody else is gonna show up at noon, and in essence, she's hiding. She's hiding from her village, she's hiding from any friends that she might have, she's hiding from, from everything. And she encounters Jesus and Jesus guys at this well and Jesus begins a conversation with, with her which was shocking, by the way, for a number of reasons, that's another message. And they start to have a conversation and Jesus starts in this thing about you know, living water and what Jesus knew about her is that she, there's a lot of relational stuff there, like she's on like, relationship number five. I think she's been married four times. She's got a dude living on her couch right now when Jesus is talking to her, not her husband. And so Jesus starts this conversation about living water and he's relating it to the water that she's there to get in this well. And basically he's talking about, listen, I'm, I'm offering you a better life. There's a better life that can be found in following Jesus. And it's deeper and it's bigger than anything in this, this world that you're gonna fill, the void that you're trying to fill. And probably you're trying to fill that with relationships and you just keep coming up empty. And they have this conversation and the lady finally turns to Jesus and like, I, I want that living water. Whatever you're talking about, I'm still not exactly sure, but like, I, I want what you're offering. And so Jesus turns to her in this dramatic, really unsensitive moment if you don't know where Jesus is going with it. And he's like, okay, so go get your husband and bring him back here, we'll talk about it. And she's like, I get, but I, I, don't, I don't have a husband. 
And he's like, no, no, you, you are, you're right about that. You don't. And then Jesus, who's teeing her up the entire time, <laughs> reaches into the most shameful, painful, hurtful, discontented area of her life that she has hid, no doubt, for years from everybody around her. And she's gone to incredible lengths, not to heal. She's gone to incredible lengths to hide and keep it out of view of everybody to the point that she would inconvenience her day to come to that well at that time to basically melt in order to draw water so that she wouldn't have to interact with anybody else because the shame was so deep. And Jesus reaches into that area on purpose in order to bring it out of hiding for her. And what he's saying in that moment basically is, hey, listen, I'm not here to shame you. Like, I know, I know you don't have a husband. I know you've been through a bunch of relationships. I know that it's a rotating door. I know that there's a guy living on your couch right now. I know where things are at with you, but I am not here to hurt you or to shame you. I'm actually here to heal you. And hey, I know this wasn't your dream. And I know you blame yourself for a lot of this. And I know the guilt and the shame that you're carrying. And I know where you are at emotionally. And I know what you feel like you have to hide. And I know what other people have said to you. And I'm bringing up the most painful moment in your life, not to shame you, but to heal you and to set you free. And they begin to have a conversation around this area. And it is the most profound conversation that this woman has ever had. Because after the conversation, she realizes something she's never realized in her life, that around this rejection, around this hiding around this hurt. For the first time in her life, she feels accepted anyway. And she beelines back to the very village and the very people that she has been hiding from. And I love the response. John records it in John 4, 39. She runs back to these guys. Again, remember, these are the people she don't wanna be around. She don't wanna talk to. They don't ever do coffee together. There's never play dates. Like they never go on double dates. And she runs back and it says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And this is one of my favorite lines. She's like, he told me everything I ever did. And it's amazing. And I know you know it already. And I know you've talked about it and I've heard you whisper about it. I don't care any longer. You can talk about it all you want. I'm here to tell you about it. You probably didn't know I'm actually living with somebody right now. I am, that's where I'm at. But I just want you to know that nothing in this moment has changed, but everything has changed. Nothing circumstantially has changed, everything has changed. She's still gotta figure out what to do with this dude at her house. Nothing has changed, everything has changed. Because in this moment she recognizes, yes, it's true, I'm free. Yes, it happened, but for the first time in my life, I feel fully known by somebody and fully loved. And by the way, that's the connection. You will never feel fully loved until you are fully known. For the first time in her life, she stands there after that conversation. It's like, I've never felt this before, but I actually feel like security in this relationship. I think this, is, this guy is sent from God and I don't think he's ever gonna go anywhere. If he knows this and he's still with me, Like for the first time in my life, I feel like, because I believe this guy's words, he's declared worth over my life that I never thought I had. 
Like for the first time in my life, I feel loved. And so she runs back to this village to go, I don't care anymore. I don't have to hide this from me. I don't have to hide this from you. I have the only validation that I really need. And listen, I'm sure change is coming, but in this moment, I'm free because when I don't have to hide and all of the junk is true and it's real and I gotta work through it, but I know that I'm already loved and I'm already accepted, that changes everything. Like, I haven't been that good in relationships, but I'm free. There's some stuff I haven't done right with my adult kids, and nobody gets it right and perfect, but like, there's some stuff that it's hard for me to own, but I'm free. And the fact that I can own it may be the catalyst for healing in a relationship with one of those kids that wouldn't be possible any other way. Yes, it happened, but I'm not carrying shame and guilt around it any longer. I'm free. Like there's a habit that I keep going back to over and over again and I've just hit it and I've hit it and I've played the cultural church game where I don't wanna tell anybody else but finally I come out about this thing of this is where I'm struggling and for the first time in my life I'm free. Hey, by the way, I'm still struggling but the fact that I'm free is actually the path toward healing because when I am not hiding is when I have the opportunity to begin to heal around that area. Or like I'm struggling with some emotional stuff and I've just felt the stigma of of mental illness or I grew up in a home where they told me that's not real, I've got anxiety and you can say what you want but that anxiety feels real to me. And I've got some depression, I got some things that I'm walking through and I'm still walking through it but I'm free. Amen. And see here, here's the reality, like just stay with me for a second. In that area of your life, and I think we all have them, that area of your life that is most prone to attach shame and guilt and hurt and discontentment and anger to it, when you get freed up around that area, it changes everything. Because that area where you feel that you are forced into hiding or where shame is driving you into hiding, that area is powerful. And the longer it's been there, the more powerful it's become. And when you somehow release the grip of the enemy around that area where you feel like you have to be silenced where you have to hide, where you have to create some kind of narrative, when suddenly you're released from that. It's this linchpin into every other area of your life and what God wants to do in it. It's what James said. <laughs> He's like, listen, I want you to confess your sins to each other, and I think even the broader context, your struggles to each other, your dysfunction to each other, and I want you to pray for each other so that you will be, what's the word? So that you'll be healed. See, here's the thing about shame and guilt and those areas that you're prone to hide. They always wanna drive you and drag you away from community. But the very thing that you need around that area to heal and to move on is community. So that thing that you're hiding, that thing that's just kind of there and it keeps attaching stuff to it and whether you realize it or not, you're living out of it, you gotta bring that thing out of hiding. If you're ever gonna take back your life, and I just wanna tell you, if you are in Christ, it is possible. If you wanna take back your life, like you gotta take back that secret. You gotta take back that thing underneath the surface. You gotta take back that, that thing where you've been maybe lying to yourself. So I just wanna give you two things real quick because these, these are the two things that hiding, this is what hiding does. First of all, we hide from ourselves. So my question is just this. What are you hiding from you? Like, what are you hiding from you? 
so I have, I got three boys, but my two older boys, um, Ryder and Braxton, um, they're at this age where they just, they make up stories. And they don't always mean to, but like they, because they're, they're so close, they're really close in age, they'll get something in their mind, there's like a little bit of truth in it, and they'll see something on, I don't know where they'll see it, like Paw Patrol or whatever stuff they watch. And that little seed of truth will grow into something and all of a sudden they'll start talking back and forth and they, they create these narratives for one another they both believe. And it's not that they're trying to lie, like they think it's true. So the most recent one is, is they, they got convinced, number one, that there are eagles that fly into our backyard on a regular basis. And the second thing is, and, and it, it morphed, that those eagles could pick up human beings and just take them away at any moment. And it was over time. So initially they were just, you know, they were scared of the eagles, but like we're good. And so they're constantly pointing out eagles to me in the backyard. I'm trying to convince them that our eagles do not fly into our backyard. I can promise you it doesn't happen. And then this thing that they, and I can hear them at night. This is the funniest thing. We're doing this last night around something else. I'll hear them in bed and they'll be talking about something. I'm like, I know that's gonna turn into something I'm gonna have to deal with later on. Um, and so they got convinced it's gonna, it's gonna pick them up. So one day I'm on the porch and they're out and back and they just start screaming at the top of their lungs, little four-year-old and six-year-old high-pitched screams, you know what I'm talking about? Running as fast as they can because there's some kind of, it's like a robin in the yard <laughs> that's like they're convinced is gonna pick them up and drag them away. The eagle in the backyard that just picks up random human beings and never returns them to their home. So I gotta sit down like, no, that's not happening. And they believe it. They believe it's true. We do the same thing. So around the areas where we, um, we hide things from ourselves, what we'll do is we'll create a narrative around that thing that we're hiding. And if you repeat it enough times, you will believe that narrative and it'll keep you stuck. And I get it because the truth is so hard sometimes. And the truth is so hard, we'd rather ignore it. And it's, it's this weird thing where it is, it's honestly irrational, but it seems easier. That literally I will lie to myself and again, we're good at convincing ourselves, so it's not a lie, and we don't, we'd never admit that it's a lie, but I've created my own narrative about this situation and about why I'm here and about why I'm kind of keeping it in hiding and why I've never really told the whole story or why I don't tell anybody else around me, and we believe it over time. And that actually seems easier than actually confronting the truth. And we're hiding. And the thing about this is whether you realize it or not, you will always live out of that lie. And you may be telling yourself the story and you've got good at convincing yourself of that story, but you are still, mark it down, you're making decisions out of that place. You're seeing things out of that place. You're conducting relationships out of that place. You're responding out of that place. Emotionally, you are wrapped up in something out of that place. Because here's the thing, you can create a narrative all day long like Adam in the Garden of Eden and you can convince yourself that it is true, but here's the reality. You will never live free. And so you, you'll tell yourself this thing in order to feel better and yet you still, somewhere below the surface, carry the guilt with you. The shame's still there. The discontentment or the hurt or the anger is still there. Like it never goes away. And so here's my question for you. What do you need to take responsibility for? 
Like, what are you hiding from you and you need to take responsibility for? Because you've told the story for a while. Like, yes, they had the affair. And it's so easy to point to, it, it was all them. That's, a, that's an easy story to tell people. And you've never really been honest about the fact that you checked out five years before that and you did a lot of damage. And you've never owned it because it's easy for you to not own it. Or there's some stuff with your adult kids and, and it is so hard. And like, listen, all of us can drive ourselves into parent guilt. I mean, anybody, anywhere, but there's some things you know that you have to own and you've never really been able to own it because it's, it may be the hardest thing in the world to own of, like, this is what I need to admit. And that thing may be the catalyst for what God wants to do in a relationship. Or there's that thing with that business and you are so angry and you're so angry about the failure and you have every reason to be, and there's a couple, like three points that you keep pointing to, but you've never owned your decisions around that and you keep living behind a narrative where you're hiding because you're hiding, you're not healing. Or then there, there may just be some stuff where you're struggling. It's, it's a mental illness thing. It's not something that you did to you. It's just something that you're carrying. But you can never really be honest with it. And you try to kind of brush it off. Like, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't need counseling. I'm good. You know, like you're drinking more and more. You've got a habit that other people are trying to talk to you about. And you don't really want to hear it. Your spending is a little bit out of control. And you got reasons for why it's out of control. And you're just at this place where you can't really own what you are walking through or what you are feeling emotionally, but you've got to come out of hiding and you've got to stop hiding from you. And here's the thing, it's powerful. When you do that, it's not just about you. Because a lot of times when you're willing to take that step, it becomes healing for somebody else around you. Because here's what happens when you come out of hiding almost every single time. When you, when you own something it's difficult to own, there's almost immediately humility that's attached with that. It's why it's powerful because a lot of the stuff that we struggle with, the root behind that is pride. And when you break that root of pride, all of a sudden you start to make progress. But that humility in many cases leads to empathy because you see it a little bit different. It takes away a little bit of your argument. Suddenly like there, there's more that you're a part of than you've ever wanted to recognize before. And that humility that leads to empathy, just let me tell you, that may be the greatest factor in beginning to heal a relationship around you. And maybe nothing's changed but you. But I'm telling you, a lot of relationships are one person getting honest away from healing beginning. And so what do you need to take responsibility for? What do you need to get honest with you about and let me just, I'll go quick, but listen, when you get honest with you, you start to get honest with God. And some of you, your disconnect and your relationship with God is because you're bringing your faux self into your relationship with God. Because when you're not honest with you, it always translates. And you, all your, your, prayer look like, your prayer life looks like praying about them or praying at them or praying for that circumstance to change, or God, please rain down fire on them like the disciples prayed, or like, please change this. And suddenly, when something starts to change in you, something starts to change in your relationship with God. And maybe for the first time you get honest. I love how the writer of Hebrews put it in Hebrews 4.16 in the NLT. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Because when you get that I'm, no, I'm coming with my full self. I don't have to hide anything from me. God, I don't have to hide anything from you. I'm gonna stop hiding behind these narratives. In that moment, what becomes your catalyst for boldness before God is not that these things didn't happen or it's not your personal purity or perfection or performance. It becomes, no, the very essence of the throne of God is grace. 
and I'm coming on the basis of grace and I'm not hiding any longer. God, I already know that you know it and I'm praying at them or about them and I need to be praying about me a little bit more because I had a hand in some of this. There's some stuff I've been hiding behind. There's some narratives that I have been telling myself that's actually changing how I pray and communicate with you. But here's the promise, man, when you do that and get honest, you will receive his mercy and you will find his grace to help when you need it the most. What you need most on the other side of your honesty, when you're willing to get honest, God will give it to you. (laughs) God will meet you there. I love what Paul wrote. Hey, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. I don't know what version of God you were given growing up. God's like, I didn't come to planet Earth to shame you or to guilt you. That's the reason I came was to undo all of that. It's actually my kindness that wants to lead you into transformation, but you cannot conceal what you wanna heal. You gotta bring it to the light. So where do you need to stop hiding from you? What do you need to take responsibility for? And the second question, what are you hiding from others? I know it's so uncomfortable and you're like, I just should have skipped into part three next week. (laughs) So I get it. But where have you wronged somebody? And you just need to be honest about it and you need to get it right, and I understand that they had a part to play, and maybe it was 40%, maybe it was 60%. You gotta own that 40%. Like, I want you to love God by loving other people. One of my favorite stories in the New Testament is Jesus one day, and I wanted to tell this whole story, but I just didn't have time, but Zacchaeus, you know that story, and if you don't, you know, Google it. Zacchaeus, actually even better, just it'll tell you where to go, and then you read in the Bible. Zacchaeus is up in a tree, and he's up in a tree because he's hiding. He's basically a tax pyramid scheming thug that nobody likes. He's a Jewish guy who's betrayed the Jews and he's making bank off of Jewish people working for the Romans. Everybody despises him. I don't know what the equivalent is. This is just how my crazy mind works. Just so you get it in your mind, like this guy, he's hated, but he's making a lot of money. He's wearing Yeezys. He's driving Aston Martin. Like, I don't know. That's just how I think about stuff. And so he's in the tree and he's in the tree because that's where the whole religious establishment had driven him. Because if if there is a God and he is Jesus, I can't get too close because he's gonna know me. And then Jesus does his very Jesus thing, which is he comes up on Zacchaeus hiding in a tree and is like, Zach, I want you to come down from hiding. And then furthermore, because this is what Jesus did all the time, which I love, I'm going to invite myself over to your house today. Hopefully you cleaned up, we're gonna have a party. And then he goes with Zacchaeus to his home. And I don't know if you know this, they have this, this incredible conversation and we're only privy to part of it, but there's this dramatic moment. And he's talking with Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus realizes the same thing that the Samaritan woman realized. There was a moment where, oh, this dude does know my background. He does know what I am involved in right now. And maybe just like a Samaritan woman for the first time in my life, I feel fully known and fully loved and accepted. And maybe I've got worth after all. And everything changes and he has an encounter with Jesus where he believes that Jesus is God and makes this confession of I wanna follow this Jesus. And then here's what I love, man. It's just not like, okay, I'm gonna go about my way and, and, and seek to just kinda, you know, heal and, you know, handle my past as best I can. No, no, no. Here's what he did. He he realized, okay, I'm good with God, I'm good with Jesus, but this is the New Testament ethic, that's not enough. Because Jesus is like, because I'm good with you, I wanna make sure that you go make it good with your neighbors. 
And he walks out of there and he goes to get it as right as he can with all of the people that he ripped off. And from that moment forward, I'm convinced Zacchaeus lived free. Not because he wasn't hated. I guarantee you, he didn't get right with everybody. Not because it didn't happen, not because he didn't have a past, but because he came out of hiding and lived free. And the moment you stop hiding is the moment that Jesus can begin healing in your life. So it's not enough to just, hey, I'm good with God. No, no, you need to be good with the people around you. And so... The fear attached to that is that we fear being honest with others more than we fear the consequences of hiding the truth. And the thing is, I'll just tell you, I get that it's hard. The consequences of hiding the truth are always exponential in the long run. And you feel like you're saving yourself and you're not. And some of the consequences is that you spend your entire life with your past never really being your past. And some of the consequences or carrying shame and guilt that I really believe in Christ, you could set it down. And the consequences are, because you don't ever feel known, you always fear rejection. This weird thing about human psychology, when we fear rejection, we actually sabotage relationships to experience that rejection quicker, just FYI. Or that perfectionism thing, or our emotions being out of control, and Jesus is like, I know this is hard, but taking back your life is hard. And I want you to be free because it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. So what are you hiding from others? I just wanna ask you two questions. Who have you hurt and that you need to confess to? And it's a marriage thing. I had an awkward lunch about five years ago with a guy that, that I knew who was serving on a team. He was a leader. He wanted to have lunch with me. We sat down, he started to talk about this past thing in his marriage where he had made some mistakes and they had a come to Jesus conversation of like, this happens again, you're out. And so it happened again, but it had been several years and he sat down with me and he's just like, and I hate these questions because like I just did a message on this and then he's like, what should I do? Like I, like, I don't really wanna answer that question because I know it's a very difficult conversation, but I, you know what you need to do. And it's so hard. And I'm not telling you it's gonna work out great. I don't know if it is gonna work out great, but he went and had that conversation. I'll never forget at an event not long after I saw him beelining across this room and then about 15 feet away he had this huge smile on his face. And he's like, I feel, this is exactly, I feel more free than I've ever felt in my life. And now for him, five years later, he's serving in a church across the country and God's doing incredible things in his life. I, this is not a promise everything's gonna work out, but here's what I know. If he wouldn't have done that, he would have lived the last five years of his life in hell with shame and guilt and hurt and discontentment and disappointment driving him deeper into hiding. It's a marriage thing. It may be a thing that you need to just get honest with one of your kids. And that's so hard to do and it takes a lot of humility. It may be a, an employer thing and you've kind of hid behind a story that is only partly true and you need to be honest. It may be a thing with your parents and you're 13 or you're 15 or you're 17 and I know it's so hard, but listen, just, just hear me. I don't want you to have to try to take back your life in a decade after carrying this. Yeah. Or it's some habits or it's an emotional stuff that you have to, to just get honest about, but who have you hurt that you need to confess to? And the second question, what are you struggling with that someone else needs to know about? And maybe you didn't even create this. This is not, it's just, you're just struggling and it, you're okay to struggle. My wife talks about this with the anxiety that she struggles with that she coined kind of this term, anxiety friends. 
And so every time she's really struggling, she texts three or four people to go, I'm just struggling right now. They know her, they trust her. They don't go crazy or get weird. It's just, hey, I need you to pray for me. Be with me right now. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a temptation. Here's what even AA, NA, they know the power of this that ultimately I think originates from scripture. There are some things, some habits that will not be broken without community. That will not be broken without the power of confession. It's why, I cannot plead with you enough. If you are not in community, if you are not in a group, I guarantee you, I've, I've just seen this over a bunch of years. Generally, there's some stuff that's a little bit off in terms of your relationship with Jesus because you just can't do it without it. And so you need to get into next steps and figure out what's offered in terms of groups and interest groups and how to get connected and serving on a team. And this is not because like a church needs you, it's because you need it for your healing and your growth and even for what God wants to do for your future. Because some of you, you have things coming for you that you don't even know about right now. You better anchor your community right now. So take a step, get into it, because those areas, they wanna drag you into isolation, and isolation is the very thing that feeds the shame that drove you into hiding in the first place. And so James said, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you will be healed. And if you want healing, you gotta come out of hiding. And you gotta stop allowing shame or guilt or grief or hurt or whatever it is drive you into hiding where you need healing the most. And if you do, it has the power to break the hold over what is holding you back. And so let me just end with this. There's a story in the New Testament, Mark writes about it, where Jesus is with his guys and he's going through this town and he, there's this guy on the side of the road who basically just starts crying out to him. And usually the disciples are like, he doesn't have time for that. His schedule's really booked. And yet Jesus, in many cases, like he would always stop for that one. And, and it's this blind man who had been blind his whole life. And he's crying out to Jesus of like, Jesus, stop. Jesus, help me, Jesus. And then I love this question. This is so, this is so interesting. Jesus turns to this blind man in Mark 10, 51 and says, what do you want me to do for you? And if he was sarcastic, he'd be like, I want you to make me see I'm blind. I can't see, and I, I heard you do that. You specialize in that sort of thing. So what do, you, what, what do I want you to do for me? I want you to help my eyes start seeing stuff around me. That's what I, but I love this moment because it is so powerful because what Jesus is saying is, listen, I'm not gonna force my way on you. And Jesus will always respond to a declaration of need. Jesus will always respond to a declaration of surrender. Jesus will always respond to a declaration of humility. It's not enough that you know it's there somewhere below the surface. You've gotta bring it out of hiding and you've gotta name it. You've gotta declare it if you want to heal from it. And so Jesus is saying to you, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And the starting place is to go, you, you, you wanna know an answer to that question? The answer to that question is what I bring out of hiding. And whatever I bring out of hiding from me and from others around me, this thing, this narrative I've been living behind, this is my answer to that question. God, what do I want you to do for me? I want you to heal this. I want you to give me freedom from this. I want you to somehow move me past what I don't feel like rationally is possible to not have to carry this shame and this guilt any longer. I want to be able to acknowledge that it's true and I did it and I'm struggling with it, but I'm free. 
And the starting place is where many of us have struggled to get. You have got to declare it. What needs to come out of hiding? What do you need to confront? What do you need to face down? What do you need to go? Okay, God, I'm gonna answer this question because my answering this question and declaring this is the first step for you beginning to heal it. I want you to release me of the shackles of hurt and discontentment and pain and anger that I have been carrying for too long. And I want you to set me free so that I can live my life without pretending. God already told you I'm a mess. I don't need to be, pretend to be anything other than a mess, but I'm a mess that God is making into something extraordinary because I'm a son of God. I have the spirit of God inside of me. I have a divine destiny over my life, but I just get to be me because there's nothing to hide in the shadow of the cross and a crucified savior. I just get freedom. And so it's up to you because Jesus cannot heal what you will not reveal. Take back your life. Take back your secret. Would you stand with me? Would you engage with me wherever you're at, watching, listening right now in this moment? Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I am well aware of how this message lands all over the place. And for some people, this was a grenade that I just dropped in their circumstances. And so I'm just praying that, that you would do what you wanna do with it and you would confirm and you would reiterate what you reiterated to that woman at the well and what I believe that you made so clear to Zacchaeus. that right after the most famous verse in all of scripture, that God so loved the world that he came, there's the verse that doesn't give a lot of airplay, that he did not come to condemn the world. He came to save it, to heal it, to restore it. And I love the reality that we don't have to live a life where it's not the absence of pain and stuff hitting the fan, but we don't have to live a life where we're just trying to survive. There is more that is available in you even with the stuff that we've walked through and even with the stuff that we have done and you are inviting us right now in this moment on behalf of your kindness to lead us into repentance and to change. And so God flood this place, those airwaves, those places where people are watching and listening, flood it with your healing power as we begin to come out of hiding and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.